Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. The government set to reduce welfare supports for new Ukraine war refugees fleeing here. Ukrainians will remain welcome in Ireland, uh, those fleeing war. Uh, they will remain welcome in Ireland. Um, but we are going to have to adjust what we offer in terms of social welfare and uh, state accommodation. Dozens of restaurants closing. We ask why in an apparently healthy economy. And Alana Quinn Idris says she's disappointed with the three-year sentence handed to a man involved in the attack that left her blind in one eye. Minister has said the country needs to ensure it doesn't create a pull factor with its supports to people fleeing the war in Ukraine. The government is to make substantial changes to the assistance it offers, including a big cut in the welfare payment, as well as a potential 90-day limit on accommodation provided by the state. A full cabinet decision is expected tomorrow. And earlier, the Taoiseach said the country will have to adjust the supports it gives. I'm really proud as a country that we've been able to do that, uh, to welcome 100,000 people fleeing war uh, to Ireland. Um, Ukrainians will remain welcome in Ireland, uh, those fleeing war. Uh, they will remain welcome in Ireland. Um, but we are going to have to adjust what we offer in terms of social welfare and uh, state accommodation uh, in order to bring it more into line with what other Western European countries are doing. But we haven't made uh, the final decision or a firm decision on that yet. We only have the amount of resources that we have uh, and we need to make sure that we do not uh, create a pull factor in any way. Um, we know that there has been uh, potentially an increase in secondary movements and we need to make sure that we look at uh, all of the types of supports that are being provided uh, and that we negate any type of uh, secondary movements where people potentially don't need to, to be coming to Ireland. Well, I'm joined to discuss this further by Fine Gael Senator Gareth Ahern, into TD Potter Tobin, and Irish Mirror political correspondent Louise Byrne. You're all very welcome to the programme. Louise, let's come to you first. So we had a Cabinet subcommittee meeting on this uh, late this afternoon. Have we got any sort of detail on exactly how this is going to work? Because there still is some questions, isn't there? Yeah, so like you said, a Cabinet subcommittee on the Ukraine met this afternoon to discuss these proposals from Roger Gorman and then it went on to the leaders' meeting, so it was discussed by the Taoiseach, Tanishta and Eamon Ryan. Now, from what I understand, that they have all agreed to these proposals and I guess the real main thing here is going to be the decision to limit state-provided accommodation to newly arrived Ukrainian refugees for 90 days. Now, at the same time that they're limiting that state accommodation, they're also going to lower the amount of social welfare that a newly arrived Ukrainian 
refugee can receive. At the moment, it's €220 a week, which is in line with job seekers' allowance, but that is going to come down to €38.80, which is what the asylum seekers are offered every week. Now, my understanding of it is, and we'll hear more when this is approved by Cabinet tomorrow, but my understanding of it is, is that your allowance is only lowered when you're in state-provided accommodation and then when you move on, well, then you'll be entitled to a higher payment. But I think there's a lot of questions because we know we have a shortage in accommodation across the board. We know we have a rental crisis, rents are through the roof. How are people going to afford rents? Is 90 days enough for someone to come and find a job, to feel settled enough in the community, to get a job, to find a place to rent? So I think the government is going to be facing really, really big questions on this tomorrow because it's a very drastic shift in policy. It is a drastic shift and the Taoiseach's saying today, look, it's about bringing us in line with what other European countries are offering. And you hear Helen McEntee there saying we need to ensure there's not pull factors. So what is the level of demand at this point, Louise? So we know we are accommodating over 100,000 Ukrainian refugees. On top of that, you also have an increase in the number of international protection applicants. We know now since last week that there is a number of people, I think it's just up over 80, who haven't been able to be accommodated by the state because of accommodation shortages. So we know there is a real issue there. Now, what the Taoiseach keeps saying is he wants to slow the amount of people coming here. Now, what the government also seems to be worried about is what they're calling secondary movements, and that's the number of people who have sought accommodation or have fled the war in Ukraine and have sought accommodation in other European countries. We understand that a couple of months ago that was about a third of people arriving here had sought accommodation elsewhere. So, like Helen McEntee said there, the government concerned about this pull factor that perhaps the feeling is amongst ministers that we're offering too much. So, like the Taoiseach said to try get this in line with other European countries and what they are offering. Okay, so we want to end the pull factor. Is this more of a push factor then? Are we trying to disincentivize people coming here, Gareth? Well, it, it, that's not the way I'd look at it. I suppose uh, what it is, it's a recognition that people coming uh, to Ireland now, Ukrainians coming to Ireland, aren't necessarily coming directly from Ukraine. So what happened when the war started, uh, people came directly to Ireland to flee Ukraine to look for protection. Uh, and they came to all EU countries, but they came to Ireland uh, um, uh, a lot. And uh, we're in a position now where we have 100,000 people uh, who've come from Ukraine. But what we have is they're not coming directly from Ukraine. They're coming well, about into, a third. Louise yeah, said the figures given to Cabinet, I think, yeah, last month so, was about a third of people who've come here have already been in another European country. Yeah, and, and they're there. choosing to come to Ireland for a number of reasons. So they see Ireland as a very safe country. Uh, they see our education system is very good for their children because women come with, with, with children and they see the opportunity of, of jobs in Ireland. So there's a number of reasons why they choose to come. But what we need to recognise is... do they see is, the welfare rates? Because that's what you're cutting. Well, well it's, it, it's an awful lot of factors. But there's a large percentage of Ukrainians who are here who are either working or in, or, or in an education. Um, but we have to recognise that there's a, there's a number of Ukrainians who have come to another European country for five, six, seven months and then choose to come to Ireland. Um, and what we're saying is they're, they're essentially not fleeing a war at that stage. They've actually entered into Europe. They're safe. They're being protected by a country in Europe. And that we need to align um, uh, what we offer people when they come into the country uh, in line with other countries like, like Germany, like Poland, like Spain. But to the point I suppose Louise was making, there's still uncertainty about what's going to happen after the 90 days, isn't there? If somebody is in state-provided accommodation after 90 days and you say, that's it, that's all you're getting, and they say... 
there's no accommodation available in this country, what are you going to do? Yeah, so I think the Taoiseach answered that today and, and said, look, if there is cases and there, and there are sensitive cases where people can't get accommodation or are in a vulnerable situation where accommodation can't be given to them, uh, those will be looked at on a case-to-case -case basis. But, you know, of the 100,000 Ukrainians that have come into Ireland, 30,000 of them have found accommodation themselves. They're not relying on the state. In the last year alone, there's 40,000 people who came in through work permits from countries outside of the EU all of those found accommodation but themselves. But isn't there also 5,600 people within the direct provision system in Ireland who have been given right to remain yes. in this country but who are still remaining in direct provision? Why? Because they can't find accommodation. Yeah, no, and that, that's what we're saying. So there is a challenge here in terms of accommodation and that's why we're putting measures in place uh, and making it very... Uh, 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 making sure that they're very much aware that albeit we can, we can offer education, we can offer job, uh, jobs, um, but housing is an issue and it's a challenge. You and know. you're out on your own after 90 days? Or well, you're out on your own no, maybe? No, I, I'm just, I'm no, just I, I think the Taoiseach was very clear. You know, we, we don't want to put people on the street. That's certainly not, not where this government want to be. We have managed uh, uh, over 140,000 people, if you take in uh, international protection applicants as well, over the last two years. Um, and we'll continue to try and help and support and we'll continue to be a welcoming country to Ukrainians coming in. We're just changing the measures for new Ukrainians coming in. OK, Pater Tabin, do you believe this will lead to a decrease in the number of Ukrainians fleeing the war and coming to Ireland, whether it's initially or whether it's secondary movement? Yeah, so I think most people want, first of all, to be able to be generous and to provide um, a safe harbour for people coming from the war in Ukraine. But I think also people want the process to be sustainable. So compassion and common sense as well. And I think there's no doubt in everybody's minds at this stage that the fact that we had higher welfare rates, that that was a draw uh, in terms of uh, more people coming to this country. And it is definitely the objective of this government now to reduce those rates, to reduce the numbers coming to Ireland. But the big question is, there's only about... Uh, 1,800 houses, for example, on daft.ie for rent at, at the moment. Um, and, you know, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult, near, if not impossible, to uh, accommodate the numbers uh, if they are a repeat of last year uh, coming to Ireland. So, but, we're not, but we're not going to see that as the expectation because yeah. the draw, the pull, the government saying isn't going to be there anymore. So, so I think what you, you, you say, stated yourself, so Leo Varadkar stated that 5,000 people have, uh, are in direct provision at the moment who are entitled to work and to live uh, in society, uh, but they can't because they're, they have nowhere to go. So that is going to be the case uh, with Ukrainians again in the new year, but the, the sole purpose is just to reduce the numbers uh, that are coming. And do you welcome that? Well, I, I think the government had no choice, and it is something that we have called for for uh, a number of months, that there is an equalisation of welfare rates uh, between Ireland and you know, the other European countries, because the sustainability issue has has gone. You know the, the manageability. I just, I just wondering when you, because I've, I've seen you use the word sustainable a lot when it comes to immigration. What do you mean by sustainable? Well, what does sustainability? Sustainable is very, in immigration actually look like. It's very simple. It is equalisation of resource and numbers coming to Ireland. So numbers, you, you want to be able to help people, but you need resources to be able to help people. And if you don't have enough resources, you obviously can't sustain the same number of people coming to the country uh, on an annual basis. So, so you know, do you think this goes far enough or do you think the government needs to go well, further than this? I think the government have... Are, are, if you look at the whole asylum process in Ireland, the government are making incredible mistakes. So the lack of, first of all, uh, consultation with local communities is, is causing great difficulties nearly in every county in the country at the moment. The lack of funding to communities who are, who are hosting 
uh, people. You know, the government announced 50 million euros last year uh, to help communities who are supporting. Only 2 million of that has ever been spent, which is an incredible situation. Also, if you look, there's thousands of people currently in the asylum process in the state that are there for two, three and four years. There's one person there for 14 years in just for the first asylum application in the state, which is an incredible length of time to, first of all, make people wait for asylum, but also it means that the state has to accommodate people many of whom aren't asylum seekers Okay, as and well. you, you do mention that, that single individual. I've seen you mention that mm. person in, in the Doyle. But the Irish Refugee Council said for last year, the, the median wait, the average wait for a process and for a decision was 18 months. So they, they are processing applications. They, they are. But, but again, for example, if you look at the deportations, so from 2018 to 2022, 5,000 people received deportations off, off the state. And the state only enforced those in 550 cases. <clears throat> so the, in the vast majority of cases, the government are not even enforcing the deportations that they're giving. So what I'm saying is we do well, I think they've said they're actually unsure because some people may have deported, may have left exactly. the country voluntarily <laughs> and haven't notified so the government. So that's not a managed situation when the government doesn't even know where okay. the people are. Yeah, but well, just in relation today, any of the measures that are brought through today have nothing to do with international protection. There are a small number that are coming in. The numbers are reducing this year compared to last year by about a quarter. Um, but the measures brought in today are in terms of Ukrainians uh, coming in and trying to reduce the number of Ukra Ukrainians coming through. Um, and I think that'll work considering we'll be staying in line with all other EU countries. That's the plan. Uh, just to one other thing, uh, Louise, which has been interesting. When this, I suppose, proposal was first brought to Cabinet by Roderick O'Gorman, I think it was in October, wasn't it? At the end mm -hmm. of October. I mean, he was met with fierce resistance, wasn't he? It was, by all accounts, one of the most divisive Cabinet meetings we've ever seen. What has changed? Why has suddenly Cabinet turned around and welcomed Roderick O'Gorman's proposal with open arms? Why is it now a great idea? I think this is a question that's actually on a lot of people's lips and I think a few of my colleagues are hoping that we might actually get a press conference tomorrow so that we can ask this very question. Because like you said, when this proposal did go to Cabinet at the end of October, there was war over it. Uh, Tanish Timmy Martin very unhappy. Now, I think in some ways it was more so about how it came to come to Cabinet. It hadn't been approved by the party leaders. It wasn't an official memo. It was something that was raised and a part of Cabinet called Any Other Business, which no other Paul Carr had actually heard of before. We'd never really heard of something raised under this before. So what was said at the time was that this might put a very unfair burden on Dara O'Brien, the housing minister. Micheál Martin was also concerned about uh, schooling of children. So I think a lot of questions are remaining because this proposal really isn't a whole lot different from what went to Cabinet at the end of October. This is what we did expect. I was speaking to sources October, November, and they were saying it will go back to Cabinet, but we don't envisage it changing. And, that's and if it have. hasn't changed, then why the newfound love for it? Gardner, can you answer that? Well, well uh, like, th this decision that's made has a real impact on people. So there was time to think about, about it to make sure that it's done correctly and done fairly. But as Louise has said, the proposal that Roderick O'Gorman brought six weeks ago isn't really that different to what's coming before Cabinet tomorrow. There was huge resistance to yeah, it, no. great annoyance. You're transferring the problem now onto Dara O'Brien. We're not buying this. There's concerns about children going to school. And now it's fine. Yeah, what's so the, the, the proposal that was brought six, six weeks ago, I wasn't in Cabinet. I didn't see, I didn't hear what was being discussed. But almost everything that's brought to Cabinet is discussed by the leaders beforehand. As Louise said, it wasn't. The reason why the leaders discuss it beforehand is to make sure that there's no problems or no unforeseen difficulties with it. That's why it's taken a couple of weeks to make sure this is done right and done correctly.
I think Do you the, believe the, the, that's powder to be? I think there's no doubt that there was a turf war uh, in the initial cabinet. And I was in the doll the day where that, that row uh, blew up and, you know, the, the, the Taoiseach admitted, and he doesn't often admit it, that there was a, a very serious uh, row. Um, and there's a turf war. Like, obviously, Dara O'Brien does not want to see the housing figures go south even further than they are at the moment. You know, well over 13,000 people who are in emergency accommodation at the moment, well over 4,000 children in emergency accommodation. So, you know, it, the, the pressure is, unfortunately, from a political perspective, these politicians are looking at it, who's going to be held, holding this problem going into a European election, going into a local election, and potentially a general election. They shouldn't, it shouldn't be turf ward in that manner, to be honest. It should be a whole of government response necessary first. And if, if, if it's to be fixed, it's to be fixed with the increased provision of housing in the state. Is it to do at all, do you think, with the conversations we've seen around immigration in the last couple of weeks, Louise Byrne? It's hard to tell because I think there has been a real focus on the immigration conversation over the last couple of weeks. Now, I don't necessarily think it's been about Ukrainian refugees. I think it's been more about so about asylum seekers. But I think this all does feed into it. And I mean, this is coming at a time where there are very high tensions about the migration issue. We saw a debate in the door last week. We saw when the riots were on the streets of Dublin, a lot of it seemed to stem from people who are anti-immigrant, have an anti-immigrant sentiment. So it's coming at an interesting time and I think it's going to be kind of, the government are going to be concerned about how this is going to land. Will some people be calling for them to go further? Don't forget, like Pater said, we are coming up to an election time. We will have all these issues and they're going to be at the forefront of people's minds. So I think yeah, and really we, tense. We did see... Um, Garda Heron, and I wonder has it played into government? We did see in recent polling the shift towards independent candidates, many of whom have taken a much firmer line on immigration, and suddenly Fine Gael and Fine Foyle follow uh, with this proposal and seem to welcome it. Is this playing into your mind? Well, I, I, don't, I don't think we followed the line of, of, of the independence position on, on immigration, but I think. In fairness, the Taoiseach has been talking about this for a number of months in, term, in terms of us reaching a capacity and, and to be able to manage that going forward. So the timing is coincidental, is it? Well, it's the, not the, like, at the, all? Well, no, but the, 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 Taoiseach, the Taoiseach has been talking about this uh, for a number of months. Um, they said when it came, came to Cabinet a number of weeks ago that this needed to be discussed further. Um, and, and it has been. So, the, you know, the, there's, there's nothing about the timing. Very briefly. There's, there's no doubt, let's, listen, there's no doubt that the government backbenchers are hearing it from their own communities. Listen, many communities have done good work in terms of accepting Ukrainians, but also many communities are suffering under the pressure of it. And there's no doubt that the government are hearing that as well. All right, look, we have to leave that there for now, but my panel is going to be staying with me. Later, we're going to be asking them why the restaurant industry says that it's in crisis. But up next, we're going to be talking to crime victim Alana Quinn. Idris, do stay with us. armed himself with a hurl and took part in a group attack on a teenage girl that left her blind in one eye, has today been jailed for three years by Dublin Circuit Criminal Court. Alana Quinn Idris, who suffered life-altering injuries in the 2021 assault, expressed her disappointment at the sentence handed down to Josh Cummins. Alana and her mum Jane joined me a short time ago to tell me why she feels so let down by the legal system. Yeah, I just kind of meant, um, you know, after everything that's happened and very clearly what you can see has happened to me, what was done to me is probably the best thing to say. Um, I just feel like 
three years in prison and then a two years suspended sentence in probation. It just doesn't feel like this. It's not the scale isn't equal, kind of. Is that the right thing to say? Would that make sense? To say? Yeah. Like, um, I just don't feel like it just. The punishment doesn't fit the crime, I feel. Yeah, and just with everything now that I have to go through, that I've been going through, and I'm going to have to go through still for the rest of my life, this doesn't just end for me. Like, um, and then for him just to serve three years or however many years, and then after that, he can just forget about it when he grows up and stuff. It just doesn't feel fair whatsoever. You feel he will be able to get on with his life, mm -hmm. but you can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to, of course I am. Um, but, like, I can say enough, like, any time I look at myself, I'll see it, but then anybody I meet as well, it's not like they just see a, a normal face, do you know what I mean? Like, everyone's going to, regardless if they know or not, they're going to see me and think, oh, what's going on there? And I don't want that. I don't, like, if this had happened to me and anything else, you know, like, I just didn't lose my eye, then it could be put past. It still would have been just bad. Um, but... I could eventually put past, but it's not it's something that's clearly I wear it on my face forever. Um, just remind people at home, Lana, of I suppose what happened to you and the extent of the injuries that you received. Yeah, um, so I was hit with the saddle of a bike, um, but I was punched in the face first, so then I, that didn't result in me losing my eye. I um, was then hit with the saddle of a, an e scooter, and then that ended up fracturing. Um, my, I'll just say like the floor of my eye socket basically, um, just completely destroyed it. Um, I had some cracks in like the sinus, like my sinuses and stuff. Um, I ended up breaking a few teeth as well, and my retina was completely detached. Um, and yeah, just basically all the bones in my eye socket were just destroyed. Like, um, so yeah. And I'm blind, so yeah, I, I ended up losing all of the sight in my uh, in my right eye. So, given what you went through, what do you think would have been a fair sentence today to one of your attackers? Because there was multiple attackers. Mm -hmm. um, well, considering that it was premeditated and that there was weapons brought, I feel like just I don't know. Really, like um, she was. No, I won't even say that. Um, I don't know, I feel like I don't want to give an exact number because I just feel like an exact number doesn't really, like any number really doesn't, you know, do it justice. Like it could have been a life sentence and it's still, you know, it's like, it doesn't make it any better. But um, I just feel like three years is just like laughable, really like, um, I don't know. Yeah, closer to 10 and anyways, I feel like just would have been more justifiable, like, yeah. The judge did say today, Jamie, that there must be a deterrence from this sort of general street violence, the type of violence that your daughter experienced. Do you think the sentence that was handed down acts as a deterrent? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He's going to be home before he's even really an adult, you know? I just... I don't really have any words that, like Alana said... Any amount of years probably wouldn't have made Alana happy, you know, but I feel like something that would have had some sort of impact on his life. He, he, three years, people go traveling for three years and then come home and, and you know, like, I, I just, I can't get my head around it. I don't know. 
There, it's, it's not a deterrent at all. At all. I, I, it's just too lenient as far as I'm concerned. And the judge did say that... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. He was being sentenced to five years, but the last two years were suspended, and mm -hmm. she took into account the fact, for example, that he yeah. pleaded guilty. Did that make a difference to you? No. She took, she took many factors into consideration. Look, we appreciate, you know, all the, the, the work the, the judge did and she was very thorough looking into all the evidence over the last couple of weeks, obviously. She read a, 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 quite a substantial report today, I guess, that she wrote herself. And we do appreciate that she's just doing her job and she has to follow has the, well. the ways of... of the justice system here in Ireland, and there's obviously um, sentencing guidelines that she would have to follow too. We do appreciate that and we understand it. But I think when you bring in mitigating factors and the fact that he came from a disadvantaged area, he came from a broken home, he has mental health issues. Like, we came from the same area. My children have grown up there, I've grown up there. You know, many people in Ballyferma are, are lovely, lovely people. We don't all come out, go out and commit crimes because of where we grew up or how we grew up. Lots of us are, have, have grown up in the same circumstances. And it's just not OK to consider stuff like that. And because he was 17 and three months at the time, I feel like at that age, you're well aware of what's right and what's wrong. And because he's nine months away from being considered an adult, it just, it's, it's very unfair. In general, Alana, because this is the second accused person who's come before the courts, who's pled guilty and, and has been sentenced, uh, how have you found the experience of the court system and the court process? Um, it's just very, it's just very draining, I think, you know, just like, 
it's just like like I said today uh, with the cameras, like I do think like if this didn't happen to me, like where would I where would I be today? I could be doing anything else, you know what I mean? Like and it's just like it's just really like surreal. Do you know what I mean? Like um, so now yeah, like it's just and as well just like being in a room with so many people and having to sit for hours and wait like the last day. What was it like? The what would you call him, the defendant or whatever? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he had been off. They couldn't find him, do you know what I mean? So we had to sit there and wait for ages and then come back or leave and then come back and wait for so long. And then, like, it's just really, like, frustrating, to be honest. It's not even, like, the hours of the day in in the courtroom on that specific day. It's waiting for the court dates to come and then the court's getting pushed back for whatever reason... You know, and then also waiting for one one sentence and then another sentence in, and now we have to wait for a further trial in in like over a year. Alana's life is on hold because of all of this. Like Alana had plans to go traveling, you know, she can't do any of that because we don't know really what's going to happen. There's no point in Alana heading off to Thailand and then getting a call and and saying, "Look, you have to come back because you know whatever's." Going on is going on. Appointments with in regards to getting myself a prosthetic that that's its own thing. Like clearly, you see, I, I'm not wearing one. Like, but it's just it's a whole process, surgeries and follow appointments and just everything. It's just like I just I don't know. It's constant. It is constant. Yeah. You, you did get an opportunity today, Alana, to, to make your victim impact statement. Do you feel as the victim that your voice has been prioritized and really? heard in the courts? I feel like, I want to say, I feel like I've been heard by the Irish people and I um, I don't even know how to put into words um, all the support I've gotten, like, and I just, it's just, I like, I have so much love in my heart for everyone that's, you know, had something to say uh, to me and all the kind words, like, but in regards to the courts, no, not at all, really, not, not, at, not, not at all. I don't want to say that because there's people who have really tried and put in so much effort and trying to do right by me. But it is just the Irish legal, like, justice system. It's just, it's not right. Something needs to be sorted. I feel like the justice system in Ireland is not for the victims. It seems like it's for the offenders, Mm -hmm. which makes no sense. Like, once you walk into that courtroom, it's all about the accused and, and... how their life has impacted them and this is why they've done this or why they've done that. What about their victims? I really do appreciate you both coming in to see us this evening. I know it has been a long and a difficult day. Alana and Jamie, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Alana and her mum, Jamie, speaking to me just before we came on air tonight. Coming up, restaurants say they are struggling, but why? We discuss with our panel. Stay with us. Some breaking news reaching us here. Gardy in Dublin are investigating the death of a man in his 40s after an apparent stabbing incident in the Castle Park area of Tala. A man has been arrested at the scene and is being questioned. The scene has been preserved and we'll bring you more on that story in our bulletins on Ireland AM in the morning.
Now, restaurants say they are in crisis with dozens facing closure or bankruptcy. The industry is blaming, high, blaming higher costs and a higher VAT rate. Fine Gael Senator Garrett Ahern into TD Patrick Tobin, Irish Murr, political correspondent Louise Byrne are still here with me. And I'm also joined by Adrian Cummins from the Restaurant Association of Ireland and by economist Colin McCarthy. You are both very welcome to the programme. Okay, Adrian, let's start with you. You're the representative of the restaurant industry in this country. Paint me an accurate picture now of what it is like to be in that industry at the minute. Well, last month in November, 48 restaurants or food-led businesses closed down. 180 businesses have closed since uh, July. And we predict a lot more will happen in the new year. Obviously, December is always a busy time for hospitality. It is holding up and holding firm at the moment. But it is the general cost of business and the increased cost associated with the VAT increase, cost of labour, wage inflation, cost of raw materials, and then we're looking at uh, pension auto-enrollment next year, sick pay increase from three days to five days. Uh, all of these things are all coming at once. To coin, to use the phrase by ministers, these are all coming at once at us. And what we're getting from the government is, as part of their budget package, is €5,000 per business. When you, look, when you factor that into a general business at the moment, they're an average business with about, say, take a million turnover, which is an average restaurant, they're facing 95 to 96,000 euros extra in cost next year. That's and is this right across the board? Right all restaurants board. right across Ireland, are they all struggling? They're all struggling. And, and to be fair, it is the, is, everybody is talking about this in the, in the hospitality sector. And I haven't even mentioned 297 million of warehouse tax due to the state uh, to be paid uh, from May of next year with a 3% interest rate on top of that. So this is one of the biggest issues facing us. We've gone through a number of crises in the past. The government did support us uh, a lot during the pandemic, but this is a, this is our industry now is facing a substantial amount of, of closures. Okay. The Board BIA report, the out-of-home report that was released at the end of last month, they said that the sector was up 13% year on year, that it was a record high of nearly 10 billion to the restaurant sector in Ireland. That doesn't sound like an industry in crisis. Well, factor in inflation, you know, inflation in the country was running at about 78% last year, taking your cost of business on top of that and, you know, everything else that a business has to face, uh, you know, yeah, 13%. I would say when you strip it down, it's probably increased by about three to four uh, percent <throat> for our industry. You know, our industry is nearly in every village town in this country. We are a huge employer. We're labour intensive. About two hundred and sixty thousand workers in hospitality, uh, and so you want more help. And the big help I think you're looking for is the return to this lower VAT rate, this nine percent VAT rate. It should never have gone up gone back up. It was in place for 12 years. It was the right rate of VAT when you benchmark it across the rest of Europe and we're looking for it for food-led businesses okay. across the hospitality mm -hmm. sector. Colin McCarthy, do you think the restaurant industry is being treated unfavourably because of this VAT rate? This return well, to the 13.5% up from the 9 that so many of them enjoyed yeah. during COVID? All, all, all sorts of businesses are facing cost inflation. It's, it, it's not uniquely targeted at the, uh, uh, at the restaurant business. All the retail businesses, for example, uh, are seeing uh, wage costs go up. Uh, the government has indicated that they're going to increase the minimum wage, but they almost needn't have bothered. Uh, it's been drifting up anyhow 
and, and there have been pay settlements in various different uh, businesses that I'm familiar with, uh, without trade unions saying, oh, you know, we're buying on a pay demand, uh, including businesses where there aren't any trade unions. Uh, the reality is that there's a labor shortage. Uh, the the uh, participation rate in the labor force is uh, as high as I can remember it. The unemployment rate is, is down near the all-time low. Uh, and there are businesses, including restaurant businesses, Adrian, uh, around where I live, uh, that are curtailing their areas of operation because they can't get staff. It's a big problem in the pub trade, for example. Most pubs, uh, you know, they're, they're open ideally for 12, 14, 15 hours a day. That means two shifts or a third one if you, if you want to go weekends as well. Uh, and they just can't get the people. So do you think the real issue here then for some of these industries, particularly the ones that are closing, isn't necessarily costs, it's actually staff shortages? There are restaurants opening and closing all the time. That's, that's a natural cycle. It, well, it, it, it's tough business. And if you're successful, you do well. If you're not successful, you don't last very long. And I'm sure uh, Adrian and his colleagues are, 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 are well aware of that. On the VAT issue, uh, the standard rate of VAT in Ireland is 23%. And people don't know that uh, because it's in the price and, and you don't get told... You know, can I have 100 quid? And by the way, I want 23 quid VAT as well. Uh, so the prices of a huge number of things that you buy, including all consumer durables, uh, including fuel for your car and all sorts of other stuff, uh, uh, any kind of uh, luxury type uh, or non-necessary non type of item is 23%. There ha has always been a reduced rate of VAT, which is 13.5%. Uh, and that rate was kind of a concession. Uh, and there's a zero category that includes food now. Most basic foodstuffs are at zero. So the 9% rate, uh, which the, the hospitality trades en enjoyed uh, after the great banking bust, that, then it went back to 13.5%, then it went down again because of COVID. It was thought this would be... Uh, uh, a, a bit of help because of COVID, and now it's back at 13 and a half. That is a concession rate. That that rate of VAT, uh, you know, if if uh, uh, the people who love you most uh, buy you a 100 quid smuck up dinner for Christmas, uh, they pay 13 and a half. If they buy you uh, something like a, an expensive piece of uh, a, a, an accessory or something. Uh, they pay 23%. OK, so Potter to being what Colm is saying is, look, despite what Adrian <clears> says, <throat> the restaurant sector in this country already gets a concessionary rate. They're already getting better value than a lot of other trades and a lot of other uh, businesses and consumer goods. Well, first of all, I, I, these are not normal times, right? Because for the last two years, uh, real spending power has fallen because of the massive increase in, in the level of inflation. So, you know, this is a very unusual time. Secondly, Ireland has is a very dear country. It's a rip-off country in many ways. So we have the highest cost in electricity in the whole of the European Union. Things like alcohol, which is a, a, a key product within the restaurant industry, it's, it's uh, 113% over the average cost in, in the rest of, of, of the European Union. And I will say this, you know, the, the uh, hospitality industry is not uniform. There's a big difference between big ho hotel companies and small 
uh, family restaurants and cafes and, and, and pubs around the country, they have completely different business models and are experiencing different profitabilities at the moment. And I think that the, the VAT rate... So what rate, are you going to do? Change VAT rates depending on the profitability no, of the no, business? No, no, no. I, I would say the VAT rate should be able to recognise the difference in those two business models. There, there's like Revenue would, would be able to differentiate those two uh, sectors of that particular industry if they wanted to. And I do think they should be treated differently in terms of tax. OK, Garda Hearn, the, the government were warned the Restaurant Association is a pretty powerful lobby group and they, they've been saying, look, if you return the VAT rate to 13.5%, there'll be closures. Now we've got closures. Yeah, no, well, I think, I think first of all, it's important to acknowledge that, that Adrian recognised that the government have been here to support the restaurants uh, over the last number of years and will continue to do so. You know, the, in the last budget, there was a new scheme brought through to, to support businesses through the, the uh, increase in cost for businesses. That's half of their rates of this year being given back to them in the first quarter of 2024. They don't have to apply for it. They just need to give their bank details and it'll be given to them. The reason for, for doing it is so that they have cash flow early in the, earlier in the year. That's not to dismiss the fact that there are challenges for restaurants and for, for the hospitality sector. I know it myself in Tipperary, in Cashel and Care. Uh, the challenges the supports are there. are there. Well, there's supports there that are cushion. Supports. Well, there's supports there that are cushion. There's, there's not enough uh, when I speak to businesses, um, but they're there to support them. Um, but most of the measures that were brought through by government in the last number of months were in consultation with all organisations uh, in terms of, in terms of uh, minimum wage, in terms of sick pay, uh, any changes that have been brought through. Uh, we have flagged it very, very early for businesses to let them know that that's going to happen. Even and in the terms auto of the VAT rates, do you think one of the difficulties is that the VAT rate was left too long? The, the, the restaurant industry probably didn't expect that the VAT rate was going to be extended... Um, and, and it was, it was seen as a big win for the industry. Is well, that the I suppose, I suppose, well, it's probably for, from the good negotiations by Hatrian at the time dur during some of the budgets that, it, that it, it was retained longer than anyone would have expected. But there is a recognition from government that it was a very difficult period coming out of COVID for restaurants. Um, but it's very, it's very hard to argue the case to keep VAT rates at a very low, low percentage of 9% when hotels are in that as well. And I thought it was interesting when Adrian spoke, he said the VAT rate should be there for food-led businesses. Um, like hotels and restaurants are in the same bracket in terms of the VAT they pay. We've had, I've been on the show before where we were talking about how, how hotels are given extraordinary prices. So you, do you agree then what um, well, I think, are saying there should be two VAT rates? Well, I think there certainly should be a discussion. Some, sometimes when I think in rural Ireland, uh, we suffer a lot. Uh, the restaurants, pubs, businesses in rural okay. Ireland suffer because of what happens in Dublin as well. Let me put it to, well. to the economist. Two VAT rates, do you think? One for restaurants, one for hotels, perhaps a different VAT rate for those in rural Ireland? We currently have six VAT rates. The, the standard rate is 23%. There's a 13.5% rate. There's a 9% rate. Uh, there is uh, a rate of around 5% that applies to certain uh, uh, areas of the agriculture industry. I'm not getting a sense, and, Colin, and, you think there and, should be two rates here. And there's two different zero rates. How about that? But Ireland has a higher than average uh, VAT rate, uh, standard rate, than the rest of the European Union. By and VAT and that is not a good judge yeah, of yeah, income. Yeah, yeah, that is a trivial point. Every country in Europe has a top VAT rate, standard VAT rate in the 2021 20, 22 kind of area. It's 23 here. Uh, uh, that's just a, 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 a trivial point. The Irish government is heavily dependent on indirect taxes. 
uh, on excise duties and VAT are the main ones, and there are several others. Okay. If, if, if you don't like that, then but that means... The problem I have, like, Colin, is this. The sorry, problem... if you don't like that, that means you'd like to have no, more income the, the, the problem I have with this, in the middle of a cost-of-living crisis, the government are actually taking more in VATs than they ever did before, excise than That's they ever did true. before. That's not true. They are, but, actually. But that is not. The rate of VAT has not been... It the standard hasn't, rate of VAT has not been increased. But the actual amount of money being taken out of people's pockets is at the highest rate ever okay. in a cost-of-living crisis. Louise, is so, one of the, the things that's happening here and that's recognised, I think, in this board be a report that I referred to earlier, is that people's eating habits have actually changed. And what people are looking for from restaurants has changed. 100%. Now, when I think of myself and my friends, we're definitely eating out less now than we were. And, you know, it's coming up to Christmas. I find myself eating out a lot more. And you really do notice the difference in the bills compared to a couple of years ago. And I think, you know, when you're going out, you're not, you're, maybe you're driving because the taxi situation is too hard. So you're having less drink and that may take a bit off the bill, but that impacts the business. I know myself and my friends, we're not really eating out anymore. We might go to someone's house. We might get a takeaway. We're not really going out as much as we used to because we can't really afford to. So perhaps we're going for a swim on a Sunday morning and getting a coffee and something instead. So I think there, since COVID, the way we socialise has changed. So I think there's definitely less going out. But I do think a big part of that is the price. The, the price, and that is picked up on, isn't it, in that report, Adrian, that people, the driver for people is value for money and they're not seeing that in the restaurants. Well, <clears throat> we acknowledge that we have a cost of living crisis, but we also have a cost of business crisis in the country also. And when we look at our customer base at the moment, we understand that there's less money to circulate. But when we look at what the government have done, they've hit us in four, nearly four blows in one go. You have your minimum wage increase, which is a 12.3% increase, which is, has a wage inflation measure <coughs> built into that. You have the VAT increase from 9 to 13.5%. That's so 50%. Colin was saying, look at... In a time of a staff well, shortages, those wages went up anyhow. Well, the, the government, uh, when they set the minimum wage at uh, 12.70, that's a 12.3%. And what is every business, every uh, employee in every business? They're going to look for that increase across the board. Um, and that is factoring into the cost of business also, which means that your average payroll in a business should be around 33% of of cost now has gone up to nearly 40%. Your margins okay, reduced, and the, business goes into, was, into, into, is that profitable then? Okay, there was just one point that you made uh, at the start of this and you said 180 restaurants have right. closed since July. Food-led businesses. Food-led businesses, yeah. okay. Out of how many in the country? There's about uh, nearly 10,000 businesses in the country. But my, so it was 180 closures my, my, amongst 10,000 businesses. Is that a crisis? in the industry. What my, Does my, that amount to a crisis, Adrian? What we're seeing is it is increasing every month. There, and to, put, to, put this, to make this point, there are more businesses closing than there are opening. And that's going to happen each month and month throughout the next number of 12 months because we're going into a crisis at the moment in terms of, of, of closure. OK, but, but do you accept the point that I'm <clears throat> making there that 180 businesses but, out of 10,000, is that something you th think yeah. is extremely concerning? Which well, is the point well, well, no, making. look, no one wants businesses to be closing. But, like, even in Clamel this week, there's two restaurants opening in Clamel. So, you know, we have to balance it with the figures of how many restaurants are actually opening at the moment as well. So it's not a true true figure. But when, it, when Adrian's talking about the measures that have been brought in in terms of, in terms of minimum wage and sick pay, you know, the opposition are criticising us for not doing enough. Um, so when we brought in the increased minimum wage, the opposition wanted us to do more. When we brought in sick pay, when that was going through the, the committee, uh, we, we wanted to do it over a phase basis of four years. So you do uh, three days the first year, then five days, then seven days, then 10 days to help employers. The opposition wanted to bring, bring it in 10, 10 days sick pay without a doctor's cert uh, to give to the employer. 
OK, just very briefly on the VAT rate. Is there any movement here from the government, do you think? Well, look, I, I, I don't think so. Not, not at the moment, anyway. All right, look, we're going to have to leave that conversation uh, there for now. My thanks to all of my guests for joining it this evening. Our programme is available, as always, on a podcast on all major platforms. And you can also find us on Instagram and on TikTok tonight, EMTV. But from all of the late team here, good night and take care. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.